the Biz News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed, uh, welcome to your dose of rationality every night here. We are at 5.30 p.m., the Business News Power Hour, and this being Wednesday, my good friend Magnus Haystick is our co-host this evening, um, Mr. Load Shedding Haystick. So you're only going to be with us for half an hour, depending on where the director actually does switch off the load shedding at 6 or, or later on, Magnus. But it'd be, uh, it's, it's always good to see you. Um, are you... Feeling optimistic, uh, less optimistic. We, we see the RAND is now getting close to 1350 for those who look for global investments. It's, it's got to be an opportunity now to start converting some of those RANDs into hard currencies. And, and by the way, Mr. Rater is a neighbor of mine, so I've got load shedding, he's got load shedding. So well, that's uh, good news. Isn't that good? I, it, yes. I love that idea that that the top brass uh, get exactly the same as the public, so they feel. Indeed, indeed. But he's a hell of a nice guy, and I'm very glad he's been vindicated by the uh, Ishmael Semenya report that came out this afternoon, which yeah. said the accusations of racism is absolute rubbish. So he can get carry on with his work cleaning up Eskom because I think he's got a mountain to climb. But, uh, yeah, the Rand is, of course. I mean, Alec, you and I have both about 40 years of uh, experience and, and history with the Rand. Notoriously volatile, and it either shoots up, overshoots over to the top, and overshoots to the bottom. So if you're living in South Africa, do not expect a stable currency. It's not like Europe. It's not like Japan, where a 2 or 3% movement is considered to be extremely volatile. We live with a very volatile currency, almost impossible to predict. But the biggest correlation, and I've been writing about this for years and saying this, is the commodity cycle. There's a 94% correlation factor. Commodities strong, RAND strong. Commodities weak, RAND weak. And we have had a very weak commodity cycle since 2011. And it looks like it's starting to turn, which is great news for South Africa. But one must not make the mistake and, and think this is permanent and it's got anything to do with local economic policy decisions or political developments, maybe 5%, but it's all to do with what's happening in the big scene out there, China, uh, commodities, oil, watch oil, gold, and iron ore. And so far, yes, we must enjoy it. The rand is strong. And it also means that your South African assets – have appreciated very substantially in dollar terms. So suddenly we're becoming a little richer and we can afford more dollar-based assets uh, because your property has gone up a little bit and, of course, your local investment funds. It's a little like Sassel, isn't it? When you have a look at the Sassel financial results, uh, often uh, people focus on management's done this or there's been that uh, initiative that's been uh, followed through. But actually... Sassel is a directly correlated stock to the Rand oil price. If you have a look at the results, the, the, at the profits that they make, and if you see the way the Rand oil price runs, Sassel just follows it. It's a, it's, it's a bit like the Rand with that correlation, as you say, to commodity prices. And we shouldn't get confused by the noise. We shouldn't. You've got to look through the noise. And, and, and I know that our local media focuses on the Rand strong, Rand weak, but you have to understand the bigger picture. And right now, it's, it's a good time. There's an old economist many, many years ago. His surname was De, De Kivit, a, a Dutch economist. And he always said, South Africa um, advances. Well, he said, uh, South Africa's history is, 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 is full of political disasters and economic windfalls. And we know we have both at the same time. And he was quite right. But he said this 60 years ago, 70 years ago. And that applied to the Nets. This is applying to the, the current ANC mob that we have these unbelievable economic windfalls that come our way. 
and we and and we we must just make sure that we benefit. But the danger, because of the uncertainty in the mining industry and the licensing, you know, on saying that you know we we're not going to benefit as much as we should. But in the meantime, the rand is strong. Time to fill your boots if you don't have some offshore exposure. It normally, is the best time when the rand is incredibly strong. It doesn't last long. Within the whole context, I guess we also have to look for the opportunities that you have on the JSC, and one that that I really, really like, and I'm sure uh, you know a lot about it, is Easy Equities. Purple Capital actually is where the listing is, and uh, we we've uh, picked up in the last couple of days. And it's funny, it hasn't been that well reported. Uh, the fact that a big chunk of the shares. Uh, that are uh, partly owned by Mark Barnes are being sold. We've got Mark joining us now on the line. Hey, Mark. Hey, good evening. Are you well? Yeah, man. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you for, for yeah. joining us here. Um, I was just mentioning to Magnus Haystack, who's our guest co-host on, on Wednesday. Yeah, hi, Magnus. Are you well? Yeah. Mark, well, long time no speak. I think you won't believe it, but Mark was another very long time. Uh, very long time ago. <laughs> That's true indeed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've so, been around, around the block. So, Mark, I'm going through uh, the information uh, that was on SENS. Yeah. And if we yeah. just step back a little bit, Purple Capital owns 70% of Easy Equities, and that is yeah. really the core business. Now, you started Purple Capital, my goodness. I remember coming to your offices decades ago, it feels. Uh, and through that, you own a, a, a quite a big chunk of Purple Capital. But now we see yeah. you you selling in your uh, in in your um, trust, I suppose, uh, something up to 200 million rands worth of shares in this company to bring in a new shareholder. It it really requires unpacking, not least for okay. people like us who are shareholders in your company. We've we just put it into the business portfolio, and I'm I don't I, I hate to see uh, the founder um, you know ducking away. Well, anything but. Uh, first of all, I wasn't the founders of uh, uh, of Purple Group. It was brought to me by Charles Savage and his team at some stage, and I, I became a principal investor there in, in what was then their company, and uh, that was then GT247.com, and that thing has changed and morphed over the last, I guess, 15 years or so into the mix that it is today, which has as its leading star, if you like, easy equities, in which, as you say, we own 70%, some of them own uh, 30%. So, I mean, Charles has established an extraordinary working relationship with, with John Rutherford, who's got an exceptional uh, uh, and successful track record in, in tech, tech-driven business growth businesses. Okay, And so he's been looking at us, um, and that's him in his capacity as the MD of Naya Capital. And he'd been looking at us, and I think he, uh, he he intersects with our story. You know, he sees uh, a growth plan that we see. I mean, Purple has now got over a million uh, registered users, but we, we really see it still really quite at the beginning of its of its ambitions in terms of footprint and in terms of client base. And so uh, we we were delighted about he, by his interest, and someone had to accommodate him coming in. And uh, they're looking to take, as you say, up to, uh, you know, about a 17.5% stake, which will make them a very significant shareholder. And I believe uh, that it's uh, absolutely in the best interest of my remaining shareholding, which will still be uh, in BVI, in the associate uh, where this investment is coming out of, which I'm in a partnership, uh, was always in partnership with Ronnie Labner and I'm now, uh, you know, still in partnership with their family. Um, that's going to be selling this stake. And together with what we still own in that stake and what I own outside of that associate, I still also am a, you know, about the same size as these new shareholders would be. So it's not an offer for sale, Alec. It's an invitation to purchase. Okay. Uh, and, okay. And we so think, and we think, and we think they're going to change, uh, they're going to change the pace at which we do things. They're going to, and, and I'm delighted by infusing that kind of nous and young, able, Intelligence, if you like, into the management team as a partner. Let's just go back a I'm little. I'm 65 now, man. Oh, but you, you're a very young 65, Mark. I believe <laughs> you hit the golf ball further than most 30 year olds. So. Yeah, I just disagree with the course design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so does Magnus. But, uh, business yeah. venture investment. So that's, that's a joint venture between you and the Lubner family. Ronnie, the late Ro- uh, Ronnie Lubner. Yeah. Are, are the Lubners selling out entirely then from Purple Capital? No, no, not. No, we're selling proportionately. Uh, you know, we're just selling out of the vehicle. 
Um, so it's not, it, it, it just happens to be the biggest stake and, uh, that's where we could accommodate their, their, their joining in. So yeah, it's, no, we're not sending, they're not sending out completely. Uh, we may in due course have different ways that we want to go, uh, in the future, but right now we're still in the, in the vehicle together and we both have shareholdings outside of that vehicle as well. So you're going to remain a, a, a significant investor in Purple Capital. Absolutely. Round about yeah, absolutely. 17%. So you, I think they're at 17 and a half. Mm-hmm. I think I'm at about uh, 15 or so. Okay. Um, no, that's, that's my indirect stake through BVI and the stake I hold in my other personal capacities. My indirect and direct beneficial shareholdings come to about 15% odd. So Paul Rutherford, tell us a little about yeah. him. Uh, he, fr- from his LinkedIn page, and you, you can learn so much about people by just going online. It says mm-hmm. he was um, doing mergers and acquisitions for NASPAS in yeah. Middle East Africa. Uh, what yeah. kind of work did he do there, and uh, how did Purple get onto his screen? Well, you know, I don't, you perhaps better ask him that. <laughs> um, I, his, his, his principal engagements were looking at the company uh, from the outside and then engaging with the executive, as you imagine he right. I haven't been executive there for, a, for quite a bit of time now, you know, particularly since I started looking into the post office. But, uh, you know, I think that, uh, he's got a track record and a group of investors that follow him in Naya Capital and in whatever other structures he might attract capital, which, which, which identify Tech-based growing businesses. That's you know that's as best as I can describe what he does. And you could have done worse than had a trading ground in M&A at Nospas, okay? Um, and and other things in his in his pedigree. So I mean, he's uh, I I sat and had a long chat with him only a few days ago. Uh, we sat uh, ate some lunch and 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 I found an extraordinary interception with uh, with what he feels we should be doing with our footprint and what I'd like to see happening as a significant shareholder. And I know that he has found common ground with Charles Savage, and uh, that's probably the most important thing, and the management team there. It's an interesting uh, breakdown of this transaction. They might buy only 41 million shares. They could buy almost more than 200 million shares. Why so complex? Well, I don't think it's that complex. I think, you know, we have to put a line in the sand when we do these, when you negotiate these deals and say, okay, how much do you want for sure? And you want this much for sure. And then I think he's got investors which follow him, you know, and he would then be uh, speaking to them and, and building the book and so on. I'm, I'm fairly confident that you're looking at the whole transaction. Uh, but, uh, you know, we got to a point in the transaction where we wanted to have uh, some certainty about the deal before it got widely spread in terms of other potential investors behind him, as as it were. Now, some some yeah. of us will be a little grumpy that you're doing it at one rand ten when we've paid one rand twenty five. Hey, Alec, you know, <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, I'm joking. Uh, what, yeah. what is the what, what, what is the upside of uh, of Get, bringing them in at one rand ten because presumably they're going to make yeah, our one rand twenty five look cheap. Um, I wouldn't be bringing uh, when I say bringing them in. I mean I, I I I'm absolutely convinced that they're that what they bring to the strategy and 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 what investors they bring to the party is going to more than uh, accommodate the small discount I had to uh, we had to agree to uh, to invite them in. Okay. You know, I mean, it's not as if the share price of purple has been an entirely boring and predictable progression. Okay. And so, uh, you know, you might have phoned me about this a year ago and we might have had a very different discussion. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, it would have been significantly lower then, but, uh, you, you also. No, these, had, aren't, these aren't, these aren't trading things, Adam. No, this is no. a, this is a, this is a serious strategic partner. We're inviting Paul to join the board. Um, and we see him as, as part of our future. Who's behind him? Who does he have? Uh, any, you know, you've got the Labners are your partners. Who's his partners? I, I'm, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm not at liberty to discuss other a, people's partners. You know? but, but are they yeah. significant? You've had lunch with a guy. I mean, as long as you plied him with a little bit of yeah, wine, maybe you, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they are. They said, mm. Magnus. I'm quite sure that someone must be very chuffed with their investment three years ago at 100 million for for 30 yeah. percent. And uh, if I do a quick numbers, you know, it's now yeah. valued at close to a billion rand. So it shows you that sometimes you do need that injection of outside capital from yeah. long-term investors 
to really unlock the business because Easy Equities is, uh, is is really blossoming now, and and uh, so they must be very chuffed with their investment. Yeah, they. I, I would imagine they are. Um, and but to be fair, you know, they risk, and and they were an extraordinary valuable shareholder to us. They provided some funding. You know, building these platforms is an at-risk business. You know, you invest and invest and invest and invest, and only. At some point where we are now, do you reach critical mass and it becomes economically self-sustainable? But we invested for years and years into the systems that are now the Easy Equities platform. And Sunnam was there as a funder, and they were much more than a funder, actually, to be honest. I mean, I know, I know Ian Kirk well. We used to work together at Capital Alliance. He was the CEO at the time. Uh, the people that Sunnam has put on the Easy Equities board bring with them some oversight and experience and institutional mindset, if you like, which marries well with young and growing and ambitious and eager entrepreneurs. We found them to be a sobering, responsible, and reliable uh, backers and and uh, very good partners. What do they think about this transaction? I haven't asked them, but, I'm, but, but I, imagine they, I imagine they're delighted. Mark, surely they're 30% shareholders. Wouldn't it have been just courteous to... Do you have a word with well, them before? I, 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 I said, well, first of all, the investment is into purple. It's not into easy equities. Okay. So, uh, you know, that wouldn't fall part of their mandate. So the, this investment, but, but, uh, I haven't, I haven't had the discussion with them. Uh, in fact, the engagement would have happened primarily at the executive level, which is headed by Charles Savage. Oh, I understand. It's, uh, the point is, is well made. They're not actually going into the underlying company, but more into, no. into your business. Uh, to the group, the, yeah. um, Paul being appointed to the board, is that contingent on a certain amount of investment being made? No, I think we'd invite him to the board even if he had the, the, the 50 million investment. Sure. So he clearly is somebody that uh, that sits well uh, around a fire with um, with Charles yeah. Savage, the, the CEO yeah. there. Well, yeah, and you know, I think, I think you get to a point in a business where and let's, let's let's just look at other examples. Let's look at banking. You know, who who've been the most successful bankers? It's happened when uh, you know old people, if I could include myself in that group, uh, have stood back and allowed some new, informed, energetic blood to join in. You know, and 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 if you don't ever do that, you will not reach your full growth potential. I'm delighted to be infused and challenged by young open mindsets that have got more technical knowledge than I have. And so, you know, we, we've got a lot of ambitions about products. We think that Easy Equities is way beyond a trading platform. It, it, it goes to replacing loyalty programs, you know, uh, dem- democratizing uh, uh, investment, as we've talked about, property. It, almost any asset okay, can be uh, broken down into investable parts. And the new investment decisions are made a lot on a cell phone now. It's a, it's been a wonderful story, Magnus. Uh, the whole fractional investment uh, revolution that Easy has uh, initiated for for people of our uh, pedigree or, or uh, vintage. Uh, I, I was saying the other day that when I was a young uh, young financial journalist and wanting to make my first investment, we had to buy shares in blocks of a hundred and then pay some stockbroker an exorbitant fee uh, to effect that transaction and you really had to hold on a long time for it now you can make uh, investments in blocks of a hundred rand i'll tell you a story very quickly we're having lunch with all our planners we've got about 25 planners in our company and they're all young below 30 35 all highly qualified and we came up with the idea of having an investment competition amongst all our young guys and I was blown away. Almost every one of them had an account at Easy Equities. And they're trading and they're buying and they're selling. And as Mark said, it's all on the cell phone. It's all bypassing. In those days, we had to phone our broker who put the order in. Someone would run down to the floor and try and get the stock. I mean, it's, it's, it's just changed so dramatically. And it will continue to change dramatically. We had a similar conversation here at Biz News, and uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Nadia uh, Nadia Swart, who was on, uh, who was doing our market reports in the past week while Justin was away, she was the only one who didn't have an Easy Equities account. And uh, a couple of the the colleagues said to uh, Crumbs, "You know what's wrong with you? Why <laughs> why aren't you also investing in shares?" So she's now bought her very first share 
uh, through her easy account. But Mark, that that must warm your heart. These are real no, life listen, stories you know, I mean, everywhere. There are lots of things you get for free on easy. Um, first of all, it's low cost trading. But the real thing you get for free is education. There's okay. information, you know, yeah. And your education, information, the ability to invest a small amount, an incremental learning curve with, with very little downside, with a massive upside. Okay, so people, we've got people there from 10 years to 90 years old that are investing for the first time. Okay. And I've, we've asked some of them, what, what makes, what makes your, what informs your investment decision? And the one summary I got was the best I've heard. I buy the brands I like and the people and the places I shop. It's kind of a pretty good investment filter that, okay? Uh, you know, you could have, you could have done worse than buy the brands you like and the places you shop. And in fact, if you then start looking at loyalty programs, I mean, would you not shop at the same place that you've got shares in? So why can't you, you know, every time you walk into a retail store, I don't want to name names and, and instead of getting a discount, why don't you get some shares? Buy another well, hundred grand. The top three shares so far this year is Sassel, Woolworths, and MTN, as Mark says. So buy the companies that you uh, where you spend your money. It's a very good learning curve. I, I've been doing the markets for many, many years. They understand it much better. And then when you listen to the Power Hour, you will hear from time to time some chief executives who would impress you. Uh, I know recently we had Neil Froneman on the program. And some of our colleagues went off and bought some Sibanya shares. Uh, we yeah. had, <laughs> we had, uh, Charles and, 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 and you, Mark, on the program on uh, talking about easy equities. And the guys have bought purple capital shares. So you, you almost become a, well, you become a co-owner, which is what the whole idea of capitalism is about, isn't it? Yeah, a friend of mine tells a story, and this goes back five years of, of, of picking her two, two twin kids up at school. They were 14, I think, at the time. And she was saying, well, how was school? And she said, no, mom, what's the oil price? Okay. Uh-huh. And she was like, what are you talking about? Boy? She said, well, we, we, we got some Sassel shares on Easy. Okay. <laughs> and so I mean, that to me is just a wonderful, wonderful story. You know? But now how do you ensure that this generation who are buying <coughs> shares through Easy, because it is Easy, are not going to get sucked in uh, in the way that some retail investors in, say, the United States have have overextended themselves, and we see it through every cycle. When you have a bull market, uh, eventually uh, somebody gets hurt uh, because they they overgear or invest too much, etc. How do you? How do you? I mean, have you? Has that occupied your mind at Easy? Because clearly, you're looking to the next gener to this generation who are investing to stay with you for decades. No, I don't think there's any immunity to crowd enthusiasm. Okay. And, but it's a two-edged uh, discussion because collective investment, uh, you know, participative broadly based ownership and all of these things have as many virtues as they may have vices. You, you're never going to find an absolute cure for someone, uh, you know, going into too much, but they've got to fund their accounts. They've got to have the money. I mean, there, there's no uh, leverage in easy equities. There's no, uh, so you, you're betting what you've got, if you want to call it a bet. You're investing your own money, and and it's not that you. I mean, the real challenge in these in these what I might call these investing fests is leverage. Mm. Okay, is, is doubling and tripling and quadrupling your money up and borrowing to buy more and and having a tiny piece on margin. All of those kinds of good things, which also have their place in a in a trading uh, you know environment. Um, but we, you would find the traders are very different animals to investors, and we're not in easy equities looking at trading. And easy doesn't take any principal risk. It's just a platform that facilitates the access at the at the cheapest price. To bits and pieces of investment, which eventually, I can tell you this, Eric, in my experience in this country, most people have never had any assets. They've only had liabilities. And so we managed our liabilities until the residual asset was left to someone else to enjoy. And I'm not talking about the, the, you know, the house or the whatever it is. Now you give people a chance to, in their own capacity, in their own decision making framework to own an asset, you'll find they look after it. And value it and treasure it and learn from it and are much more conservative and wise than you'll give them due. Mark, uh, was there any uh, debate about who would sell shares to enable the entry of uh, Paul Rutherford and, and his grouping? In other words, were you the only person 
uh, who who was wanting to sell shares, or did you draw a, a short straw? No, 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 no. It wasn't that at all. Um, and, and it wasn't just me. I'm not alone in the BVR structure. We have advisors and we have other investors. And you know, I think it's the only place where you could go to where you'd get a big enough piece. To, to be honest, without going and making an open market in the you know, an open offer in the marketplace, and without gathering too many people and having, you know, and also. To be honest, I'm a, I'm a principal in, 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 in purple, you know, side by side with management and, and Charles flies the airplane, but I'm still in the cockpit, cockpit a bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so it would, I would have thought it would be clear that that's the place you'd want to, uh, that you'd want to look to partner with. This is not a sale. I mean, it's a, you know, it's technically a sale, but it's also a purchase. And, and I definitely see it as a purchase and I actually see it as adding value to my remaining shareholding. Mark Barnes, the uh, co-founder of Purple Capital and uh, former chairman of Easy Equities. Uh, Magnus Haystack has been running his eye over this company. We did add it into the business portfolio, Magnus, over the past two months. I think the first tranche was at 123 or 125 cents and then 127 cents. So Paul Rutherford and co are coming in at a, a pretty useful discount because at those levels I, I thought it was uh, – Excellent value. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't have put it in our portfolio. I think it's a company that can go very far, especially uh, uh, you know with tech moving into financial world aligned to the sort of high cost structures of the traditional uh, avenues, insurance companies and platforms. There is, uh, I think, uh, easy equities will will disrupt uh, certain parts of the industry, and I, I think you can you can buy some more shares at it, in my view. Well, we do that every three every uh, when we have a, a purchase, we spread it up, uh, spread it over three months uh, to try and take the price out of it. Once we've made that decision, and I know you're going to be running away in a minute uh, because of load shedding, or maybe not. But uh, I'll stick around as long as, as, long I, as can. I can. I have an inverter. I don't know. It, it, it'll kick in. Hopefully within a minute or so, but otherwise we carry on. We are bitter angels, Alex. As long as me. And you've got David Bacher in our uh, virtual studio. David, uh, Magnus and I were talking about your family connection. You guys are all seemingly in uh, uh, the, the financial world. Which uh, which side are you uh, uh, from, Izzy or, or Ali Bacher? Ali is my father. So, so Adam is yeah. your cousin. Adam was my cousin. So the first 20 years of my life, I was after I was Ali's son, and then the next 15, I'm my cousin, Adam's brother. Um, <laughs> but hopefully, I'm starting to get a bit of my own identity. Actually, now that I Maybe. see I see you on the screen, I can see Ali, a young Ali Bacher. In, uh, in how is your dad? How's he? How's he doing? Many people would know him, obviously, for from his cricketing prowess. Yeah, he's doing well. He's. Uh, I think he's got two loves, my father, or maybe three. His uh, cricket family and South Africa, um, and yeah, he he's really passionate about that. Continues to be, keeps himself busy by he's chairman of Right to Care, which is the biggest AIDS foundation in in Southern Africa, um, which probably combines his passion for South Africa with his health background. So yeah, he's doing nicely. Thank you. We're going to be talking with you in a little while about the uh, results uh, out of the the, the monthly uh, report that you put together, which Magnus, you say you you studied this morning and you you uh, look at quite uh, regularly. I look at it all the time. Uh, we subscribe to the Korean report, and I got mine this morning and uh, was going through the trends and the movements. Uh, you have to stay abreast of what's happening in the marketplace. But before I disappear, David, I'd like to tell you, and I'm giving away my age, I was, as a young boy, at Wanderers when your dad took that catch of Bob Cowper, 1966, I think. <laughs> I was there, and I remember it happened so quickly. You only realize what a great catch it was when you saw it next day in a photograph. I think the star took it. It was so, yeah, there's uh, yeah. I'm giving away my age, but I was at Wanderers watching that game with that famous, famous catch by your dad. And many people okay. think that Ali Bacher was the captain of the best ever South African cricket side, uh, the one that gave the Aussies that 4 0 drubbing. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, maybe yeah, it was sixty five. That's correct. That was the uh, the, the four nil drubbing. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, 
wonderful to uh, yeah. to reminisce about that, and I'm sure there are many people who are listening who feel exactly the same way that uh, Magnus does about your father. But David's going to be talking to us not about cricket, about something completely different. But it is now the top of the hour, and that means it's time for us to get up to date with the news. And here's our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron, with a flash briefing. The South African National Roads Agency, Sunroll, has spent an estimated 5.3 billion rand on trying to recover e-tolls from motorists who are unwilling to pay. This is according to the organization Undoing Tax Abuse. Sunroll's latest annual report shows the agency spent an estimated 508 million rand on collecting e-tolls, which brought in over 660 million rand in revenue, reports My Broadband. Cash-strapped power utility ESCOM has declared a dispute with three unions. This is after wage talks reached an impasse. The matter will now go to mediation and arbitration. Unions have been demanding wage hikes ranging from about 10% up. ESCOM's final offer is a 1.5% increase on the basic salary. ESCOM relies on taxpayer cash bailouts to maintain its going concern status and has clearly demonstrated these demands are unaffordable, says an ESCOM spokesperson. Goldfields plans to build a solar power plant at its South Deep gold mine southwest of Johannesburg. This is to reduce exposure to national utility ESCOM, improve reliability and lower costs. Martin Priest, Executive Vice President for South Africa, told the Africa Report that the project will make Goldfields the first mining company in South Africa to build, own and operate its own solar plant on such a large scale. The project, planned to be operational by mid-2022, addresses the opportunity cost of lost production during frequent power cuts, he says. ShopRite Holdings, Africa's largest food retailer, has sold its Nigerian operations to local investors 16 years after it opened its first outlet in the continent's most populous country. ShopRite is changing its strategy from an ownership model to a franchise model. Woolworths, Trueworths and Mr. Price have also quit Nigeria. That was your Business Flash Briefing. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, visit businessradio.com. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, thank you, Jackie. And uh, again, uh, as per always, now it's time for our market report. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs matched to life insurance that changes as your life changes. And in studio, Justin Rowe Roberts, who's now completely calmed down after, after his uh, CFA <laughs> Uh, exams. Alec, I was listening intently to your and Magnus and uh, Mark Barnes's conversation. And just one thing I picked up: if you own a company like Shoprite, why would you do your why would you do your shopping at a, at a Woolies or a spa? You have to go to Checkers or Shoprite. I mean, you've got to put money in your own pocket. But anyway, I'll continue with the the market report. It's a pretty good. Before you do, it's a pretty good point, Magnus. Uh, if you if you're a shareholder in Shoprite, why would you go to Woolies? The only reason would be of convenience if you don't have a shop right in your area. But if you have to choose between the two, you would you would automatically support. Uh, there is a linkage between the two, but it's 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 how you. A lot of people invest that way, and they they shop that way. The JSE All Share Index was flat at 69,000. ShopRite was up 2% to 159 Rand on the announcement that their Nigerian sale has been concluded. Tiger Brand spin-off Oceana was up 2% on a solid set of interim results. Tele- telecommunications provider Telcom continues its upward trajectory, up 3% to a shade below 50 rand a share. And Iqbal controlled AEEI was up 22.5% to 1 rand 47 on the back of a 30 cent dividend declaration, despite the company generating a headline loss. The brazen channeling of funds from the PRC's 4.3 billion rand investment in AO is enough to make one ill. Last week, AO declared a 65 cent dividend on the back of a 30 cent headline loss. In the currency markets, the rand was stronger against all the major currencies to 13 rand 60 cents to the dollar, 19 rand 28 cents to the pound, and 16 rand 61 cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,903 an ounce. Brent crude is at $71 a barrel. The premier cryptocurrency is up at 520,000 rand a Bitcoin. 
Kruger Rand is slightly down on a stronger Rand at 27,000. And in the U.S. markets, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500 and NASDAQ are all around a third of a percent up. I see we have indeed lost Magnus to a load shedding, but he used to work at the Star. He was a financial editor at the Star for quite a period. So uh, now owned by the uh, independent newspaper group, which uh, those days was owned by Argus. So I guess he'd have similar sentiments to yours about what's going on uh, in that company today. But we don't know. Hopefully things will get uh, get to a head at some point. We wanted to pick up, though, on the performance of the uh, primarily the, the, the money funds, mutual funds, for the year to the end of May. And uh, David, uh, David Bacher is with us. How did you come across the, uh, the report that uh, Corian puts out? Uh, I was chatting to David yesterday, and then he sent me a report in the evening. I was very impressed, sent it to you straight away. I think you were equally as impressed. I think for many people, Alec, they don't have the, the time and the day. They, they've got their day jobs. They've got their kids to look after. They don't have time to do all this research. This sort of summarizes everything um, in uh, 10 pieces of paper. You can see which funds have Outperformed, you can see which funds have underperformed. Same with the asset classes, um, local versus offshore. David, um, you've obviously been doing this for quite a while now. They say past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. Would you say that the winners keep winning, or is there some kind of mean reversion in this? Well, that's a a good question. I wish I had a definitive answer for that. I I think it depends on the length of time, you know. Um, So if I look back at the unit trust industry, um, you know, over the long term, I I strongly believe that there are cycles. Um, You know, when I started the industry, uh, you know, no one uh, wanted to to be a growth manager. Um, You know, I was working at a a large multi-manager and on the back of Alan Gray's performance, everyone was a value manager. Um, and growth was, a, a, you know, like a swear word um, in the industry. Um, and that cycle played out um, uh, until 2008 and on the back of low interest rates and, uh, um, you know, and, and 10 years of stimulus, et cetera, um, and low inflation. Uh, you know, growth and quality has completely outperformed on a, a massive stretch, dating back probably you know ten years, probably ending September, October uh, of last year. So, you now if I was going to be a a mean reversionist during that long ten-year period and only invest my money in that, I think my clients um, and myself would be, be a poor person. So, I do believe over the long term there are cycles, uh, and that's what we base our investment philosophy. Um, and you need to take a long-term view, um, but how it gets there can be anything from six months to, to, to many years. David, why did you do this? What motivated you to put together this fantastic report, as Justin says? So, you know, the first thing we start with, with you know, my, you know, with the business of Corrie, and what we try and do is, is make the world of investing simpler. Um, and there are so many funds. There's over 1,600 collective investment schemes. Um, and it was actually uh, an interaction with a financial advisor when I went to his office about five years ago, and he was, like, highlighting all the unit trusts and trying to get a feel for the industry. Uh, and on the back of that, you know, we thought, you know what, Let's there's a need for the market to, to actually just highlight you know, the main important things in the industry. Um, and, and that was the one element of it. And the other element of it is, you know, the world's getting so much shorter in terms of what's relevant in terms of time. And we wanted to try and get this report out on the second business day of the, of the month. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, the numbers only come out uh, on the collective investment schemes at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we get it out at 8 um, and I think the, the the industry appreciated that because there is a lot of information. Uh, we we certainly don't want people to make investment decisions out of this report. It's you know it's one month and one year. I don't think investment decisions should be made uh, uh, just looking at that. Um, but you get a good feel for what's happening in, in, in the medium term and trends in the market. And as a result of that, we've been you know very 
thankful for the support. It really is, you know, subscribers are mainly financial advisors. Um, and, you know, we, I think we're close to 6,000 uh, subscribers to the report. And, and it's a very focused report in terms of who, who subscribes. So those people following the industry, a large portion uh, of the market, uh, we believe, use it uh, and will wait for it on a monthly basis. David, if I look now at um, at the say the general equity, for instance, I see Cajiso, Fairtree, Stain Capital performed exceptionally well on a rolling twelve month basis, i.e., from thirty first May last year to thirty first May this year. I look at say Oasis, eleven percent, when the JSC All Share Index is up fifty percent over that period for a long only manager. That that's quite pathetic, and and the funds worth five billion rand. Would that almost be a sign for investors to stay away? Or, or do you think these underperforming funds um, can outperform going forward? So, Justin, I think, you know, it's, it's, as I said earlier, it's used as a tool. I think with any information an investor receives, you've got to dig a little bit deeper. Um, so let's start with the first funds that you, you, you highlighted. Um, you know, what drove their performance? Um, and if you looked at the last 12 months, um, you know, it's been a, a very interesting period in, in the market. Um, and you could have looked like a genius or a fool quite easily. So the market did about 40%, um, but you had platinum uh, small caps doing 70 to 80%. And then you had the RAND, who a lot of people were calling for it going, you know, 19, 20, 21, uh, appreciating 23% odd. So, you know, you could have only made one or two calls and got very different different outcomes. Now, um, looking at the, 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 the funds that did well, um, with pretty much out with, with no exception, you know, those funds were in the resources stroke platinum shares stroke small caps. Um, and the function of the risk they t- took to get that also needs to be taken into account. So a manager who's not on this list could have actually had better stock selection, but just, you know, his mandate to, to his clients is that he doesn't take as much risk. And then on the other side, the funds that, that you mentioned that didn't do well, um, you know, you also got to understand how they sold that to the, to the client because some of the collective investment schemes you know, also invest a portion of their money offshore. So with the RAND appreciating 22%, Delivering an 11% return, as you mentioned, is certainly not great, but, you know, you can understand that a fund could have got there. Yeah, David, I tend to agree. And if you have to look at a guy like Pete Fulyun at the CounterPoint Value Fund, he obviously had a great track record in terms of fund management. Over the last few years, as you say, value has been out of favor. He's underperformed as a result. Few, maybe two years ago, he was written off, and he's he's had an awesome comeback. And that's when you look at guys like Three Sixty One and how incredibly well and consistent they have performed, sixteen percent per annum over a fifteen-year-plus period. It's honestly truly incredible. Correct. Um, yeah, let me start with Three Six One. Um, you know, Saad Jacobs and Steve Lips. I mean, that's an incredible business. Uh, I think South Africa are are lucky that we have a, a lot of good boutique managers that are really climbing to the next level. You know, you've got to ask yourself, who are the next Alan Gray's and Coronations and Investex? You, you need the incumbents to be to be challenged. Um, and I think we have got um, a lot of success stories um, in, in the South African market. And on your second uh, uh, point in, in terms of Peter and, and Counterpoint, I mean, you know, uh, point was, was previously uh, RCM and, and I think Pete was the biggest platinum bull in South Africa and ultimately he was proven right I mean the shares you, you, you know what, what's happened was covered on the show quite a lot yesterday but um, the problem is that he was proven right ultimately but his clients weren't left you know, the majority of his clients weren't there to reap the benefits. Um, so it's just in conclusion, you know, you've got to, you've got to know why you're backing a manager, um, understand his rationale, and, uh, and you've got to stay the course. Um, 
our got a strong, and I think we should do the, the numbers, a strong inclination that yeah, what the fund returns are in the market and what the clients get out are two different things because there is too much chasing the winners and disinvesting from the losers um, at the detriment of, of, of the end return. David, it's uh, interesting, and we're going to be picking up with you every month to talk about these issues. But before you go, the most interesting graphs for me were on the inflows and the outflows, uh, because that's really what money managing is all about. Is money coming in because people think that you're doing a good job, or is money going out? And lovely to see Walter Aylett uh, coming back in form but not surprisingly because his performances have been very good, so good inflows there. But outflows, Alan Gray, my goodness, they seem to have, uh, despite all those clever adverts that they have, they seem to be going completely out of fashion if you take it on the inflows and out, or rather the outflows that have occurred in, for instance, the Alan Gray equity and the Alan Gray balance funds. Um, yes, uh, I mean, Alan Gray have had a lot of outflows. Um, I think it's also important to note, and, and for all the the success of the report, it doesn't, you know, when you're trying to simplify things, you, you also simplify uh, and, and, and leave out other important information. It's important to realize that, like, the Alan Gray Balance Fund is the biggest collective investment scheme in the country. So they will, when you have an environment where, you know, COVID's contraction, people drawing on savings, um, they will get the majority of the outflows, um, et cetera, as paribus. So um, there are other factors you need to take into account. Um, Alan Gray on the local side, I think, have had a, a bit of a challenging 12-month period. Um, on the offshore side, I think Orbis is, is really doing well. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, bag for them as a, as a broader house. Um, but, you know, uh, Alan Gray have been tested over short periods of time. I don't think their performance has been terrible, um, but you look at that long-term track record um, and, and, you know, and you stay, stay the journey, uh, you know, you can't point too many fingers uh, at Alan Gray. They'll still be there, the uh, many of the investors. And Alan Gray Equity Fund, just looking at, in, again at your numbers, it's a 36 billion rand fund and it uh, produced 33% in the past year. Not bad at all. David Bacher, I will be talking to him every month as an update. Uh, we just wanted to give you a little bit of background today on how the report is put together, but we'll be a lot more specific uh, when we chat with him in a month's time. This market report was made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. Thank you, Justin and uh, David, and welcome now to Ted Black. Ted, lovely having you on the program. You have been a, a, a great favorite of the business community for quite some time. When we go back a little, though, uh, you actually wrote a book. I think that was where we first met uh, with Andy Andrews, who's pretty well known as well as, a, a, an, an, as an academic here in South Africa, uh, he was the dean of the Witz Business School and then um, went on to uh, become equally famous internationally. Perhaps before we go into those two stories of yours, which uh, have attracted huge amounts of interest, the one on Process uh, and NASPAS and the other one on PPC, that book of yours, Who, Who Moved My Share Price, uh, where you introduced us to Rome or Return on Assets Managed, what motivated you to write it in the first place? Alec, um, I used to be in, uh, I mean, I've done a, quite a few things in, in my life um, in, in, in the business world. And um, at one stage I was in the HR function. And, um, and I was in a pretty senior position and I got some share options. I mean, in relation to today, uh, very few, <laughs> but but it, but I never realised the value of share options, and uh, never really understood finance at all. I mean, all I've got is O level maths, okay. And um, what I've found is over over the years is what an extraordinary level of ignorance there is in most corporations 
about finance. And, and you, it's amazing, even to the highest levels. And, um, you know, most, most operating managers are really look at the income statement and probably most of the time at gross margins or gross profits. And they barely even get to operating profit. It's, it's sales and, and gross margin. And um, the assets are, are left out of the equation. Um, and and you, can, you can just see um, uh, how many companies systematically wind down the sales productivity of their asset basis. They become more and more investment intensive. And what's quite interesting is um, Deloitte have a, a university in the States I think it's Deloitte. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but they produced a thing called the Shift Index about in about 2011, 2012, uh, researched thousands of companies, and and they came up and said the best measure of operating management is return on assets. They measured it as purely as profit after tax on assets as a percent. And what you find is most most um, financial guys leave out the asset productivity side. They just measure it as profit on assets. And they showed in their research that, that since 1965, despite massive increase in, in CEO pay, there's been a steady decline in return on assets. And, that's that's um, quite a – that's a... – uh, quite appropriate to discuss at the moment because the yeah. uh, the Wall Street Journal, our partner in America, uh, today, yeah. this morning, published uh, US CEO pay. And once again, it's gone up, I think, into double figures over the past year despite COVID. But if you yeah. think of what you've just said now for uh, – and, and we really don't want to get into the complexities of, of this mm. stuff because you do try and simplify things, but it, it makes sense. If I've got a – an organization, and I've got a billion rands worth of assets, then I should yeah. be um, generating a heck of a lot more profit than somebody who's got an organization of 100 million rands worth of assets. So by focusing on what resources you're using, you probably get to what Warren Buffett, and I know you're also a big Warren Buffett fan, what he says yeah. is that it's all about capital allocation. And if you've You've got, yes. you've got lazy capital that isn't being properly allocated. Well, you are not serving your shareholders. Yeah, and it goes right down, um, Alec. I mean, even at operating level, you know, what, what, uh, what, what uh, products should we make? <clears throat> which, which products are going to turn faster than others? And, uh, and I, mean, I mean, there's one classic I had where uh, it was a production plant. And they, they uh, had a... They, their target was 50,000 tons a month or whatever it is. Now, they hit this uh, over a 10-year period probably about a dozen times. And they, were, they, they, they had this target in mind. And then they couldn't under, and then, and then it was de- their production was declining. And the, years were, the year they had the records, they, they made far fewer products. And we did when we did a Pareto analysis of this of the of the product sales. Out of about sixty different product lines, five or six generated eighty percent of sales. Yeah, it, and it's just that analysis that that it's the, the kind of the obvious, um, but it yeah. isn't so obvious when you're stuck in it. I, we we haven't got a heck of a lot of time, so I'd, I really mm-hmm. want to spend a little bit of time on uh, both of your articles, starting off. With well, the second one, because there are many more shareholders in Process and NicePass who you've been going at them for a while now. But uh, the graphs yeah. that you, you uh, published on Biz News uh, this week, or, or yeah. rather in the past week, show it very clearly that you'd put 10 cent, you take that out of the package, and this is not a well-run company. Well, I'm not saying it's not well-run. Again, it comes to capital allocation. Um, uh it's very. It, it's an impossible task to me that uh, um, Bob van Dyke's got is how to how to get that that discount removed because you can see that um, there's some of the parts isn't it, well. There just isn't 
isn't performing. Um, and even if you go a little bit further into, for instance, Delivery Hero, or um, uh, what's that? Something that one in Russia, um, Mail.ru, Mail Mail.ru, or whatever it's called. Mm. They they're not great performers. I mean, uh, Delivery Hero hasn't made a profit in ever, as far as I can see. And um, it's, in fact, the losses are getting bigger. The bigger they go, the big, the bigger the losses. And this re- really the mm, re- return on or the roam, the return on assets managed, uh, it yeah. does point out. It waves flags very, uh, very mm. strongly. And what is interesting, just just to support your your view, Ted, again from the Wall Street mm. Journal, in the past yeah. week, there's been a piece on the best food delivery companies in the world, which have grown mm. dramatically during COVID, but still can't make money. Nobody seems to be yeah. able to make money there, and Nuspass has had a huge bet in that sector. Maybe if they were looking at your numbers, they they might reassess. Could do. I, I mean, um, I mean, it's a, you know, if you take 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 um, uh, Amazon, when it started, everybody said, "Oh, look, it, it, it's it's not profitable." And even the Economist in twenty fourteen said, "How do you compete with a company where the shareholders doesn't make don't care if it makes a profit or not?" They ignored. Bezos saying right at the beginning, I'm not interested in accounting profits. I'm only interested in cash. His cash return on assets was positive within a couple of years. And it's a cash compounding machine. But I mean, within a short time, it was cash roam was 15%. Unbelievable. But these food companies, these food deliveries, it's no end. I mean, I don't know. It's just beyond me. And And also... mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just wanted to close off uh, with PPC because mm-hmm. that's another one yes. that that's not looking too bright. Well, yeah, um, it's like it's also like NAMPAC. Um, both companies steadily have wound down the asset product, increased their um, investment intensity, winding down the the um, sales productivity of the asset base. Um, high investment intensity, you counter it with asset turnover. And most operating guys, they never, ever look at that number. Mm. Never. Not even the financial guys. Would you be a buyer of PPC shares and or, and or process NASPAS? Well, um, I, I think with, with Tencent, it's still a great investment. There's no doubt about it. Um, PPC, uh, I, 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 think, I think it's coming back slowly. Um, uh, you know, you can, if you, the thing is that you, you can, when it's, when it's down and you buy a share, sure, there'll be an uptick. I'm sure there'll be an uptick, but um, I'm, that's not really what I'm looking at with Rome. I'm looking more at what management's doing. And I see it. It's more of a management development approach I'm adopting, not so much for a, for a short-term trader or so on. But if you're a long-term investor, then you want to be sure that your managers are applying their skills to your assets, <laughs> which as Absolutely. a co-owner of the company, even yeah. if we only got a hundred rand invested there, that they're yeah. doing oh, it yeah. well. Mm. Yeah. Ted, That's where Rome comes in. Yeah. Thanks again for, for uh, joining us this evening. Lovely having you on the power hour. I think it's a very first in, in all the many, many years and, uh, and your pieces as well, which are so appreciated by the business community. And once again, Thank you for sharing those with us. Well, just before we do say goodbye to you, uh, to remind you that on the international markets today, and this is what we can look at as far as tomorrow is concerned, uh, it's it's pretty much flat. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is one-tenth of one percent higher. The Nasdaq hasn't moved, and, and, and it's completely flat, and the S&P is uh, about one uh, fifth of 1% higher. So very, very quiet uh, as far as the movements are concerned. But of course, within those uh, markets, there are big moves one way or the other. It's been a particularly good day for the RAND. Once again, the RAND is now heading towards 13 Rand 50. And on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange today, well, we had some um, good moves up by Telcom, which has been bouncing around all over the place. Exaro, Nedcore had a 2% gain. 
and uh, Sunlum 2% as well on the way down. Suntum down 2%, Mediclinic uh, easing off again uh, 2% alongside Netcare after those financial results last week. Well, that's it from the team here at BizNews. We look forward to being back in your company again for the Power Hour um, 5.30 tomorrow, same time, same place. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at BizNews. Okay, well...